Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voices for Change 2.0. The Mental Health Podcast that's changing the discussion one voice at a time. Featuring guests that will help end the stigma and keep talking mental health. And now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Joe Lombardo. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Voices for Change 2.0. Yeah, thanks for tuning in this morning, you guys. Uh, we are so happy to have you tuned in and listening to us and, and welcoming us into your, your homes and your busy schedules and your whatnot, <laughs> listening to our humble little show. So we're happy to have you. Absolutely. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That's good. So... Uh, today's show is uh, starting out on a bit of a somber note, unfortunately. Um, if you haven't already seen it online, we were devastated to find out last night that uh, actor Chadwick Boseman uh, passed away. He was only 43. He was only 43. Um, if you don't know who that man is, uh, he was the titular character in the movie Black Panther. Uh, so he was Black Panther in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he played a lot of great roles on top of that. Uh, Jackie Robinson, uh, Thurgood Marshall. Um, he's just an incredible actor. Uh, James Brown. Did he play James Brown? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I didn't, I did not know that. Yes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was versatile, you know, and, you know, just incredible and, and put his indelible mark on a groundbreaking character in uh, in superhero movies for sure. Um, heading up one of the most popular and successful Marvel movies in, you know, since the formation of Marvel Studios, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was... He's a great movie. He he was a great actor. Um, he was excellent in that role. He was excellent in you know anything that we've seen and seen him in. He's been just great. And to think for all those Marvel movies, he was battling cancer the whole time. Yeah, you know that's that's groundbreaking. I said that word wrong, didn't I? <laughs> groundbreaking. Um, you know just thinking about it he's he'd been battling cancer since 2016 and during the course of that time he made not only the black panther movie but he made uh captain america civil war uh he was in avengers infinity war avengers endgame you know all these massive action movies and you know the poor guy was you know going getting chemotherapy and Oh, so the different stuff, you know, and that's that's hard on a person just in general. You know, I can't imagine having to do that and also, you know, be in these massive movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such an undertaking. You know, my heart breaks for his, his wife and his family, and uh, you know, I hope that that God helps them find peace in this troubling time uh you know it's just tough yeah. it's just really tough you know so you know 2020 as a year definitely sucks yeah you know i mean just it keeps taking and taking and taking and uh you know I, I think it needs to figure out giving back sooner or later. 
Yeah, it's like that meme that's going around about um, using 2020 as a as the new swear word. Yeah. So it's gotten so 2020 up in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and we still have four months left of this garbage. So that's the biggest kick in the ding ding. I hate to to rush time, you know, because it just turns into me getting a year older and, you know, the holidays coming and all that stuff. And so I hate to rush things, but this is this is a year of wanting to get it over and done with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's just... uh... I don't, know, I don't know what the holidays are going to bring this year. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Good thing I already shop online for everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that. You know, that's uh, that's old hat for us. So you know, um, the uh, the big concern there is just making sure everything shows up on time. Right. So, but uh, so yeah. So that's that's our little somber note discussion today. Uh, may he rest in peace. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Um, you know, and that uh, that actually speaks to uh, the topic for today's show. Um, we are extremely honored to have uh, the guests that we have today. Um, we'll be covering topics we have not had the opportunity to talk about on this show, and that alone, we're very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so our guest is calling in from the lovely city of Toronto, mm-hmm. which Beck and I are huge fans of. Uh, we will make our way back there again one day. Um, just, we as soon went. as we get our passport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to get our passports so again. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is what it is. So, so. ridiculous. But uh, anyway, uh this is a man of many talents, and we're going to talk with him about all of his talents. He's a new friend of the show. Yes. I discovered him a couple of weeks back um, uh, when I was posting about uh, looking for guests to fill in for the for today's spot. And I discovered him in a roundabout way, and he, everything he had to say really impressed me. So I thought, well, let's let's go for it and see if he wants to be on the show. And I was lucky enough to get him to agree to it. So we're pretty excited. And, you know, just putting this out there, ladies, he's a good looking dude. <laughs> yes, I, he is. I, uh, and I noticed this uh, when we, when I saw the promotional materials that Beck put together, I'm like, huh, competition. All right. <laughs> I kid. Um, Please, please give a hearty, hearty welcome to the show, Mr. Asante Hodden. Good morning, good morning. Y'all are making me smile and laugh over here, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's, that's what we do. We're also really good at needlepoint. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Multi-talented. That's right. How you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, just like y'all, you know, the, the whole... It's been a week, I would say, yeah. especially if you're a black person. So, uh, you know, because, you know, you know, I just retweeted something that said Chadwick Boseman was our Superman, and I think that's pretty accurate. So, and then, of course, with yeah. Jacob Blake and, you know, all the things happening. But, you know, uh, you know, 2020 has been a year, but we got to push through. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, Again, we're really honored to have you on the show, uh, Asante. We one thing that we haven't really been able to delve into too much is uh, mental health in relation to race, and uh, I personally am very excited uh, that we get to talk about this today. Um, just because you don't hear about it, that you know, not at least we don't hear about it that much, you know, uh-huh. and. Um, so it's, it's good. It's just good. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we were, we were both devastated when we saw, uh, about Chadwick last night. Um, I was shocked. You know, I thought someone was putting me on at first and, uh, you know, cause I mean, we're, I'm a, I'm a big comic book nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, all those movies, uh, I got back roped into watching them. And now she's, she's not a big comic book nerd, but she enjoys them. So, yeah. You know, so that's, that's, uh, it's just such a, such a painful loss, you know, and, and I'm older than him. What the hell? Yeah. Oh man. You know? that, that, wow. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's a it's a big kick in the jumblies. Yeah, it really is. So, um, do you ha- do you have any questions for us before we jump in with uh, the interrogation? I mean, the questions. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe interrogation is not the word you want to use right now. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I'm good, man. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a person who you know I'm mostly an open book, so I mean. Let's fire away. Awesome. Well, we're going to start with a question that we generally ask all of our guests out of the gate. Um, where does your mental health journey begin? Uh, you know, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, as soon as you said it, you know, it made me really think, like, not just about my own personal experience, but, like, my familial history, Right. So I mean, yeah. you know, you you could you could make arguments that you know my mental health journey began generations ago. Um, you know, there's you know I don't I don't talk about this publicly that much, but you know, uh, there there's been you know let's just say traumatic events uh, that have been happening in my family for generations, and then you think about you know uh, I, I was born in Jamaica, raised in Toronto, um, but you know my my family is. Jamaican and how did black people get to Jamaica? We talk about slavery. So, I mean, historically, you, we could go back a long way and really look at, you know, how trauma has kind of just been carried over for generations. Um, but on a more personal level, uh, I would say, I mean, I, I started noticing some changes when I was in around, you know, around grade six. Um, you know, I stopped wanting to go out with my friends as much. Um, but I wouldn't say I was like doing badly. It was just you know, there were some things happening in my life at that time with my father and um, our relationship was like quickly deteriorating and I was losing hope that it would ever improve. Um, you know, when, you, when you're about to hit puberty, you kind of like, you, you start gaining awareness of the world um, and, you know, things start to sink in a little bit. Um, so I think that was one of the things. And then, you know, uh, you know, I had to move across the city. Uh, you know, after my grade eight year and, you know, I lost a lot of my friends and, um, you know, there was a lot of isolation there. And then after my grade nine year, um, you know, my mom had a bit of a, I don't know what to call it, but um, all I know is a crisis line showed up at our house and, you know, me and my brothers learned that she was suicidal, which was a shock to us. And then Mm -hmm. the next like year and a half, two years, she spent in and out of the hospital and, you know, my isolation and the things that were happening in my life, you know, compounded with that, uh, you know, the, the depression rose within me quickly, you could say, and, you know, um, anxiety became uh, a real debilitating thing around that time as well. Yeah, that's, you know, one thing that we've seen during the course of doing this show is that puberty has a, a massive impact on mental health. Uh, it, it seems like right around those years when it hits, you know, uh, your teen years into all the way into like, you know, your early twenties, uh, these, you, you get all these emotions hitting you all at once. And, uh, it's funny cause it, like I'm seeing now what, you know, we, we've, talked about this on the show before our great niece lives with us and she's 21 months old and she's starting to get hit with all of her emotions and you know you can see she doesn't know how to control them yet so she flips from crying to laughing like that and <clears throat> thinking about it when we're hitting puberty and uh, all these new emotions are coming through and you discover the opposite sex or you know for for some folks the same sex and uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, you start to develop feelings for other people and, you know, all these different things start hitting you, jealousy and whatnot. And 
trying to uh, get a handle on that, you know, you, you, you get overwhelmed, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, with what you had going on, you know, dealing with with your, you know, what your mom was going through and 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 all that, it's it's just it compounds, you know. And you know, I know for us growing up, we didn't really have much of a uh, outlet or a way of learning how to cope with that. You know, it's not, it's not exactly something they teach in school. You know, right. yeah, it should be, but uh, but it's not. So, and then, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention too is, you know, you, you mentioned going back generations and I guess studies have, have shown that I guess certain types of trauma can actually be passed down through generations. You know, it, it's in, in, in DNA, you know, and that's when you add that on top of everything else that you're struggling with, you know, man, it's just, it's, it's a lot. It is. It really is. Yeah, uh, I agree with y'all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, it, but again, you know, it, it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you 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 have no idea what to do with these things. And you know, I've been like lucky enough or privileged enough to like, you know, I got, you know, a lot of support that I didn't even realize was support back then. Just uh, in the sense of you know, my, my teachers at school just made things a lot easier for me. Uh, you know, they, you know, I went to a school where there were a lot of, you know, quote unquote bad kids and kids that were like in and out of jail and, you know, kids that like every other school that they'd gone to had given up on. And so uh, the, the staff at the school I went to in high school, uh, they were very compassionate and very like understanding and um, had a lot of sympathy and empathy for uh, the students at their school and uh, really, you know, gave a lot of leeway in terms of like attendance and showing up late and handing in assignments late and, you know, making accommodations to do tests and, you know, or do a test over if you really messed it up, you know, things like that, um, which, you know, for me just like took a huge weight off my shoulders because I knew that, you know, if I could kind of, you know, all the homework I got for a month, if, if I did it, you know, if I did it late and handed it in a month late, you know, the teachers would still accept it as long as I got it in before they had to put their marks in and things like that. Um, you know, and then, you know, supporting me sometimes with like financial things or, you know, buying me food. And um, so those little things, I think, that really count, um, you know, when folks are going through something. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That's it's, awesome. It's good that you can look back on that t- time with with some positivity. That's that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and God bless those teachers, you know. And and you know, it's it's hard out there, you know, for for the teachers for sure, you know. And and number one, I'll say really quick, they don't get paid enough. Mm-hmm. Oh no. You know, oh, uh, no. not not remotely. They don't get paid enough. Uh, and 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 I lost my other train of thought. That <laughs> um, happens when you get older. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so, what caused you to want to advocate for the mentally ill? You know, that's that's an interesting question because, like, the way I went through it, like, I had so much self stigma. I think that you know, by the time I started to you know, get a hold of my own challenges uh, when I was around, I don't know, 23, 24-ish, in, in that age range when I was, you know, just exiting post-secondary school and starting to get, you know, start a real adult life, so to speak. Um, you know, uh, I, I had no intention to ever, like, talk about, you know, the hardest part of my life ever again. And, um, and then... You know, uh, I was volunteering at, at an organization that it was a mental health organization. And, you know, they, they kind of they were starting this new program to, to partner with schools to have young people who have experienced mental health challenges talk to other young people in schools about, you know, their, their story and, you know, where they started and, you know, how they've been able to manage on their journey. So I kind of got voluntold into doing that because, like, I was like this really shy dude back then. Um <laughs> 
side that I didn't know to say no. It, that's like where I was at. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they threw me on stage um, in front of uh, like 300, 400 high school students, which was like, I thought all these kids were going to ridicule me, you know, because I'm still like pretty close in age to them, right? Um, right. Uh, at that point in time. Um, so anyway, um, I, I went up there, I did my speech, and it went like phenomenally well. And, you know, uh, if you've like watched, you know, my, my TED talk before the first one, um, Un Uncommon Story of Hope and Recovery, um, you know, like 70% of that material is actually from that origin, that talk I did um, originally, like eight or nine years ago now or whatever it was. So um, it just had like a huge impact on the young people um, and even the adults in the room, uh, because there were a bunch of adults in the room and you know, I was like, whoa, maybe I got something here. And then I did it, you know, maybe seven or eight more times that year. And, you know, each time I did it, I got better. And I started noticing um, that I was actually having an impact on young people. Young people would come and start talking to me about what, what they were going through. And then the teachers would also come up and start talking to me about what they were going through or, or the janitor or, you know, the, the whoever was in the room, the, the, the lunch lady, you know everyone had a story and it was like wow i didn't realize this thing was so prevalent and that so many people were struggling and so many people were isolated and so many people uh didn't feel supported um and so because of that it was like i i need to just keep doing this and you know the more i did it the more i i realized how much impact i could have and you know i'm i've you know, been privileged enough to like be able to kind of, you know, make a career out of it and, you know, pay my bills uh, uh, by, by talking about like real things. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you, you mentioned your TED talk and I had a question about it uh, later on in our questions, but you brought it up. So I might as well ask you now. Um, <laughs> you've done two TED Talks. How did you get involved with that, and where can people see them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, how can, you know, I got involved because, you know, I kind of always wanted to do one. And um, I, I had a friend, or I have a friend, I should say, um, who, you know, did a TED Talk before, and, you know, uh, that what's happening there um, and um that, that that friend um uh you know they had some contacts with uh the tedx youth group uh here in toronto and nominated me for the talk and that's kind of how it happened for me so i mean yeah a little bit of nepotism um or maybe a lot of bit of nepotism but you know um I, i'd also like to say to some extent i earned it uh because i've just been you know doing a good job of doing this thing for so long and someone noticed and said, Hey, this is someone you should look out for. Um, and yeah, so that's how the first one happened. And, you know, I, I guess I did the first one well enough that someone in the audience was organizing another TEDx, uh, you know, a few months down the line was like, Hey, we want to invite you to do one here. Um, they wanted me to do the same thing, but I didn't want to do the same thing. So I decided to tell a different story that I have never, I, at that point had never actually told out in public before ever it was like like the first time i'd ever told that particular story in any venue out loud or to anybody really um wow so uh yeah you know so and that's kind of how those those two things happened um so a lot of my life has been very serendipitous <laughs> you know <laughs> sometimes I, I don't really know how these things develop themselves they, they just kind of seem to fall into my lap and you know I just catch them and run with it nice yeah, yeah. that's very cool that's very cool so would you would you tell us a little bit about uh, what Cypher is and where it can be found yeah oh, oh I didn't even tell you about uh, where the TEDx talks can be found um, so I mean oh, they yeah. both, <laughs> so they can both be found on YouTube um, you know this is so terrible of me but I forget the actual like titles of each one but you throw my name into YouTube, um, you know, I have a pretty unique name. Uh, it'll come up. Um, so uh, TEDx Youth Toronto was the first one, and the second one was TEDx Martin Grove. Um, so um, they're on YouTube.
YouTube. Um, pretty easy to find. And yeah, uh, Cypher. Oh my God. Um, Cypher is just like amazing, uh, life-changing thing for me. Um, like, it's just been really cool to, first let me explain what it is before I start telling the story about like why I love it so much. So, um, okay. so Cypher is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a web series where, uh, you know, myself and, you know, some musicians and, you know, the director, you know, essentially what we're doing is, um, uh, it's, it's, it's for a platform called Stories for Caregivers. And what we really want to do is we're, we're talking about peer support um, from the aspect of uh, caregiving. So um, we, we are, you know, hearing the stories of individuals who um, have been cared for by others um, through, you know, mental health and addiction challenges or hearing from um, the, the people who are doing the caregiving of others who have or continue to experience mental health and addiction challenges. So um, what we do with these stories is, you know, um, you know, we interview uh, the subject, so to speak, and uh, we hear their story. Um, and then the musicians come in, uh, create an original song from scratch uh, about that story. And, we, and what we try to do is we try to get musicians from different genres. So it's like a mashup of, you know, like a rapper and like, uh, like indie folk singer and boom, they come together and create a song about this person's caregiving journey. And then we share the song with the person um, uh, who's being profiled and, you know, whoever is involved in their circle of caregiving. And, you know, we kind of get the reactions on camera, you know, uh, and, and we put it all together um, into this episode. Um, and, yeah, so each one is uh, about, you know, six minutes long. So, I mean, they're... They're, they're long, but they're short at the same time. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you get to see, like, the progression from, you know, this person, uh, you know, telling their story, where they've struggled. You know, the, the musicians come in, uh, you know, do their thing, put together, you know, incredible songs. And, you know, the songs tell the story as the person is also telling the story um, through the interview. So really incredible stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds yeah. really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, <clears throat> I love that you're pulling in different musicians from different genres, too, to, to collaborate. Um, just that whole, you know, feeling of inclusiveness and, and stuff. And I, I bet it's got to make whoever, you know, you, you've interviewed for the story uh, just feel really good hearing this original song that's been written specifically for them. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, anybody who wants to check that out, uh, you know, storiesforcaregivers.com. So um, you can find it there, or you could also find it on YouTube as well. Um, Cipher, but you know, it's probably a bunch of other things named Cipher on YouTube. But storiesforcaregivers.com. Cool. Well, on that note, we're uh, we're gonna take a break. Um, so you stay on the line, and everybody else, you're gonna be listening to Kingdom by David Hernandez. And we'll catch you on the other side. Run. 
Change 2.0. I'm Joe. She's Rebecca. She's cute as a button. Look at her just sitting there with her little grin on her face. So stinking cute. I'm a lucky dude. I'm a lucky dude. And we have on the line with us today the lovely and talented Mr. Asante Hot. Hot. Why do I keep wanting to screw up your last name? Hot. You know what's funny? Everyone struggles with the last name, but not the first one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we, Grew up in the 80s, and so, you know, Armand DeSante was a well-known actor uh, at the time. Yeah, yeah you're right, <laughs> so, you're right. <laughs> yeah, so so your first name's simple, man, but, you know, we are we live in Michigan, and in Michigan, there's a place up north called Houghton Lake that is spelled similar to your last name. So I see your last name, and I know it's Houghton, and I keep wanting to say Houghton, and it's wrong. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the way I normally explain it to people is hot and bothered without the bothered part, so. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, that, that explanation actually came from some kids making fun of me in, like, grade 8, so <laughs> that's how that came about. <laughs> but, that's a, but that's a great story to have for it, though. <laughs> right. You know, so. All right, so a subject that we don't usually get to cover is the impact of mental health in relation to race and racism. What impact does mental health have on race relations and racism, or is it vice versa? Hey, that's a great question. I've never actually had that one before. Um, you know, I, I mean, um, now you got me thinking. Um, you know, I guess the first <laughs> thing I'll say, <laughs> the first thing I'll say is, I mean, for me, there's, like, an obvious impact, but, uh, you know, if, if we're looking at, like, racism going in the direction of mental health, um, you know, just, you know, racism on, like, personal levels and also, like, systemic levels um, just, you know, create circumstances where folks are more likely to experience mental health challenges. Um, you know, uh, stress is, is one of the things that I don't think we talk about enough in society in terms of, like, the, the, the significant negative impact that prolonged stress can have on a life, um, you know, on, on somebody. And so, you know, when, when you know, you, you look at folks who have, you know, mental health challenges and experience mental health challenges, you can normally pinpoint some level of like, you know, either accumulated stress over a lifetime uh, or an extremely stressful event or some level of trauma uh, has occurred there. Right. And so now, uh, you know, when you bring racism into the mix, um, you know, um, you know, it's, I, I think the way I like to describe racism 
or I've come to start describing racism is it, is that experience of it is is it's like you're in an abusive relationship. Um, so if you live in a racist society, um, you know it, it's like being in an abusive relationship. It doesn't mean that you're experiencing like racism every single day, and it's present just um, well, it is present in different ways. But it doesn't mean that like direct racist things are happening to you every single day but it is happening and you don't know when it's going to happen and there's always this anticipation for it and there's always this anxiety around it um and it's also getting in the way of you know a lot of things um so in in that respect uh i think there's a huge impact but then you talk about um you know like very direct events uh you know you have negative interactions with the police and um you know that makes you like these are the folks who are supposed to serve and you know protect you like the last line of defense in society and if you can't rely on those people you, you kind of feel like you know who can you rely on that you, you feel a little lost sometimes um and not only can you not rely on them to protect you but they might also you know in you know the worst case scenario do the opposite of that and cause you harm um mm-hmm. uh, so, right so there's that piece and then there's you know the piece of um you know, things like it's harder to get an apartment, um, things like, uh, you know, being ignored, uh, you know, by teachers in class growing up and, you know, mistreated by school faculty. And so it's, it's like uh, I think a lot of people think about, you know, racism from the standpoint of, you know, someone calls you, you know, for, as a black person, someone calls you the N-word or, uh, you know, someone, I don't know, just did some like screwed up thing. Uh, directly to you, but it, it's really like, I mean, those things hurt and are, are damaging, but it's really those, like, day-to-day, like, cumulative effects that kind of, you know, over time make you feel like there's there's really, like, that everything is really challenging and there's there's less hope for, for you and having a positive outcome in society because, you know, in the institutions that, that you find yourself in, you realize that there are some people in those institutions um, that do get in your way, and there are policies that get in your way, and now you're left with this whole bag of stress trying to figure everything out all the time, um, trying to always navigate, and, um, you know, that that stress, you know, gets to you, and, you know, you look at someone like, you know, as we talk about generational stuff, it's like, yeah, you know, we could go back to slavery and talk about the obvious trauma there, or, you know, even go back a few generations and talk about, you know, my grandmother, great-grandmother, and, you know, that obvious trauma. But you look at my mom and, like, you know, um, you know the stress that she's had to face, um, you know, uh, you know the barriers she's had to face uh, that have, you know, made it harder for her to get out of poverty, which then makes it harder for you to raise your children, which means now you're working three jobs and, you know, two or three jobs and you're stressed out about that, which means that you're not as emotionally available for, uh, you know, your children. And then those children aren't getting that emotional support. And those children are also, you know, scared of the police. And those children are also being disproportionately uh, suspended um, and expelled from school. And those, those children are, you know, living in poverty because of other systemic structures. So it's like all these things really, uh, you know, it's like you just keep piling on, piling on, piling on, and you get to a certain point, and you're like, you know, you're like, damn, this this is really hard, and it's really challenging, that stress accumulates, and then stress becomes mental health, and, I mean, that's how we get here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really, you know, it, it puts into perspective for us, because, you know, I don't know if you can tell, but, but Beck and I are are, uh, are white. Um, I got that impression. And, okay, that's good. I'm happy it did. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, for us, you know, we we haven't had to experience a lot of the same things that that you and your family have have gone through. You know, and I think with everything that's been going on lately. I know myself personally, I'm, I'm a lot more sensitive to it now, you know, and, you know, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, 
quite honestly, um, you know, my, my heart breaks because knowing that, you know, you walk around all day and you're hyper vigilant and, you know, you don't know if you can rely on, you know, the police or, you know, the courts or, or anything like that for a situation that you might have going on and that one little thing can flip the script on you, you know, that's like being in a slap fight with a friend and you know it's coming and you have no idea when it's going to happen and then just boom, one day it hits you out of nowhere, you know, and so, yeah, I just... Yeah, you know, I I think that's like what a lot of white folks are are really experiencing in 2020 because, I mean... You know, with George Floyd's murder, and I mean, obviously, and y'all are probably feeling it more because you're in the states, right? But up here, we're talking yeah. about these things a lot too. Um, but uh, yeah, George Floyd's murder. Then you know, you, you go to you know Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, and then you know all the names you know that have happened since, and then before. Anyway, um, there's a lot happening, um, and and I think that like it's really front and center right now in a way that. You know, maybe a lot of white folks didn't like see or pay attention to it before, um, and I, I could imagine that's a hard pill to swallow. You know what I mean? Um, in the, yeah. In the sense, like maybe there's some like guilt and shame, and you know all those things that come along with it. Um, but it's, it's also you know good to hear, you know, you acknowledge like the hyper vigilance of of being a black person, um, because that's actually what it is. It's, you know, my safety is within my home or, you know, the home of, of my loved ones or the home of my friends or, or in spaces where, you know, most of the people in that space look like me. Because uh, otherwise, I don't actually feel safe in society, like, mm-hmm. walking the street. I'm like, actually always, like, knowing where, like, what what's happening in my surroundings and, you know, who's looking at me and, how, you know, because, like these are the things that like happen. Like people are always like staring yeah. at you and like giving you accusatory looks and you know looking at you like you're a threat. I'm also you know I'm six four too, right? So that that's mm-hmm. another piece. So I'm like I'm a pretty big guy, right? So people look at you like like you're a threat. Uh, they're afraid of you. Like you're suspicious. Like you know why are you in this store? Why are you in this area? What are you doing here? So it's like you get this every single time you leave your house. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's part of you gets used to it and a part of you is always annoyed by it. And, you know, if, if it just looks whatever, well, not whatever, but, you know, it's, 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 it's when those looks translate into action, uh, which then becomes discrimination. That's, that's when things get real shaky. Um, and, you know, when, when you kind of put that, you know, in the context of, you know, uh, uh, law enforcement, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see why, you know, when, when bias isn't uh, seen as a threat or scary or untrustworthy that, um, you know, officers who have that kind of bias react the way that they do. And then, you know, you get shot seven times in the back, even though, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though, you know, you haven't actually, like, done anything to require that level of force right against exactly. you right um right. you know and I've, I've been arguing with folks on the internet for the past two days about this <laughs> uh, which i shouldn't do <laughs> it's not a productive use of my time but like i need to get it out yeah no i i get that um it's this whole this whole thing that's been going on uh it's it's having an effect on everybody. Um, I, I saw on Twitter yesterday that Jim Gaffigan, uh comedian, that is just the most mild-mannered dude you ever met and just most family-friendly, finally lost it on Twitter, and he was even cursing at people. So it's having an effect on everybody. Everybody. Um, I actually have a question for you from our producer, Scott. Um he up, he wants he wants me to ask. <laughs> he says most white people take for granted that our history is being taught in school. Do you feel the same? 
for the black experience? And if not, what does your community do to make sure your history is passed down? Yeah, you know, uh, that, that I think that's a, a great reflection because, um, and, and, and I, I think that's one of the challenges, I think, of, like, that white folks are experiencing right now is, like, realizing that, like, whiteness has become so normalized that, you're, like, that everything else has kind of, you know, not, you know, been able to take the stage, right? So mm-hmm. when, you know, uh, the stories of the black experience, the stories of, you know, the Native American experience or, you know, the Asian American experience or what have you, you know, when, when those stories aren't being told, it becomes easier for us to form these very narrow uh, lenses and viewpoints on how we view individuals or the communities that they come from, right? So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for myself, you know, like, thank God, I had a mother who was like, you know, kind of a bookworm and like into history and like, you know, she went to school for it, like her favorite thing, you know, she was always watching, you know, educational kind of TV at home back when like A&E showed, you know, and TLC showed things other than reality TV shows, Um, (laughs) (laughs) right? So like the history channel, right? You know what I'm saying? So um, (laughs) I, I I just like grew up with all this and my mom was constantly trying to make sure that I didn't look at my blackness as a burden um, and constantly trying to make sure that, you know, the same for me and my brothers that, you know, we, we didn't look at our blackness as, as something negative or um, something that, you know, needed to be changed or accommodated for or anything like that. And also, you know, taught us a lot of history at home, Um, you know, put us in, you know, some like after school Afrocentric programming and things of that nature. So, um, I mean, despite all of that, I mean, I would be remiss to say, you know, I, I think I'd be wrong to say that like some of these like racist images that we see on TV didn't like infiltrate and, you know, get past the walls of the fortress, so to speak. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, with the, the teaching and the learning that, you know, I had at home, it really provided, you know, a strong buffer and, you know, defense against um, the normalization of whiteness because when whiteness becomes normalized, um, you know, you look at everything else as not normal and then it's otherized and, you know, it's either exotic or um, unacceptable or in some way just not the thing to be or the thing to want. And, you know, I, I grew up, like, for me it was like, growing up how black could I possibly be that was like my thing wasn't like I was trying to like reduce my blackness um it was I was was trying to increase it um and you know in a predominantly white society which was you know some because Toronto is a very diverse city you know nowadays in 2020 uh but you know I grew up in Toronto in the 90s and in the 90s it was not very diverse um so there were a lot of challenges there in terms of like maintaining your own identity uh in, in a society that not a lot of the people look like you. Um, so um, but I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but I, I guess, <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, uh, I guess for me, it's, yeah, you know, I had the luxury and the privilege of just having a mother who just had a lot of knowledge and was curious and dedicated to learning and then passing that down to us. Um, you know, one of the like, tragic things I'm learning, you know, talking to my friends more, like, about their experience growing up. It's funny. We kind of assume that we have a lot of similar experiences when when you're black people, but, um, you know, we've been talking a lot more about, like, our experiences growing up and stuff like that, and um, and I'm, I'm talking about it in a lot of, like, forums and community circles and things of that nature, and, you know, there's a sentiment that, like, uh, I'm learning. I'm not even sure if I should say this, so I'm, you know, telling too many secrets, but, you know, um, that I'm hearing a lot, you know, for real, because like a lot of black folks were like, yeah, you know, keep that, keep that stuff in house. But um, you know, what I'm learning is there is like a lot of black folks uh, that I met recently who, at some point, um, you know, whether it, it was to avoid discrimination or racism, whatever. But you know, there was a point where, you know, whiteness was something that they wanted to move toward, whether changing their skin color or, you know, in terms of, you know, culturally, et cetera, whatever. Um, and, you know, well, yeah, you know, essentially that, you know, at some point, you know, there are some black people who wanted to be white um, because of like 
how hard it is to be black. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think one of my privileges is that I've never actually felt that I've always, in fact, I've wanted to be like darker skins than I am now. That, that was like actually how I grew up. I was like, damn, I ain't dark enough. Um, <laughs> um, um, and, you know, I think a lot of that really came from my mom and like the, just the kind of values she instilled and, you know, um, making sure that, you know, you know, me and my brothers look in the mirror and, you know, feel good about who we are. Um, just because of, that, that is, you have to love who you are. If you don't, I mean, the world becomes a very challenging place. Yeah. yeah that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, we're going to, we're going to skip a couple of our questions because uh, we're, we're getting so on time. Am I talking too much? No, Sorry. no. Good. No, we, we, it's funny because, you know, once in a while we'll get guests that will give you, you know, one word monosyllabic answers like, yeah. No. Ugh. And it's just like, it's like pulling teeth trying to get anything out of them. So, no, by all means, don't shut up. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, we, we, we do want to uh, shine a spotlight on something you're involved in, which is the Reach Out Response Network. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the Reach Out Response Network is, um, you know, the, it's – I'm not even sure what to call it right now. Um, we're kind of an advocacy group, um, you know, started by uh, myself and my co-founder, Rachel Bromberg. Um, you know, a lot of respect to her um, and what she's been able to do. I mean, essentially, you know, it, she, she, you know, she calls herself a mobile crisis nerd. And, um, you know, her passion is, uh, you know, how do we help folks who are going through, um, you know, a mental health crisis or, you know, some other mental health related, you know, some form of crisis within that realm of things. Um, how do we help provide them with service that is safe, relevant, accessible, um, and gives them, you know, a positive outcome beyond they didn't get hurt. Uh, so she's been doing research on this for a couple of years now, um, approached me uh, about it about a year and a half ago. I said, it's a brilliant idea. You need to do it. And then she's like, would you help me out? And I was like, yeah, I'll help out. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how it all started. And, um, you know, again, uh, you know, she's been trying to, you know, put things together for a year and a half. And then, you know, 2020 happened and, you know, uh, obviously, you know, with George Floyd down there, but also up here in, in Canada, we've had, you know, um, like a series of deaths uh, occurred during uh, mental health wellness checks uh, in, in which uh, law enforcement were the first responders. Um, so those things were happening right around the time George Floyd was murdered. Um, mm -hmm. So a window of opportunity opened in terms of a conversation around, um, you know, uh, obviously racism, but, um, you know, thinking about mental health and law enforcement and, you know, crisis response and what do all these different things look like. And here in Toronto on June 30th, um, uh, the city of Toronto voted to, uh, I, I guess, take a different look at what mental health service um, or a crisis um, response can look like in Toronto. Uh, you know, we wrote an opinion piece uh, to um, one of the big newspapers here in Toronto, the Toronto Star, uh, got a lot of momentum. And, you know, all of a sudden we just had like an organization. And, you know, that just like happened all over the last, you know, today's August 29th. So, yeah, this has been happening over the last, you know, two months essentially, uh, where we've gone from like an idea to, now, you know, having a website, reachouttoronto.ca, um, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of volunteers who are, you know, ready to work with us, over 200 volunteers, um, you know, really starting to really organize and trying to make something happen here in the city. Um, you know, of course, the, the big thing, uh, the big challenge is always resources and funding, and we're trying to figure that piece out. And, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, we have a great idea on our hands and, you know, we're, we're starting to turn that idea into data and put reports together. And, you know, with that data and those reports, we're, we're going to, you know, build a, a implementation plan and a model. And, you know, we're going to keep knocking on the door to essentially see if we could, you know, get the support required to um, at least inform, um, you know, uh, what, you know, the revision of, Right. 
Wow. So, that was a mouthful, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's that's quite an undertaking, and it's cool that, you know, you guys have gotten such great momentum on it in such a short period of time. Yeah, for sure. Um, love to see something like that down here in the U.S. I, I think we need it mm-hmm. uh, for sure with everything that's been going on. Yeah, um, you know, um, you know, yeah, I think we all need it for real. Yeah. So. Well, we're uh, coming to a close here with our time with you. So um, really quickly, we just wanted to offer the opportunity to talk about your social media pages with our listeners so that they can come check out and see what you're up to next. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyone who wants, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram mostly. So um, on Twitter, uh, my my handle is A S A N T E, capital V, Asante V. Um, on Instagram, it's nerdy dot black dot guy, uh, which I think is you know saying a little bit too much. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's where you can find me. I'm, I'm often posting uh, about you know social justice things. Uh, mental health related things and you know sports and every once in a while you get some funny jokes and memes so awesome well that's great uh thank you so much for being with us today asante uh we'd love to have you back anytime absolutely um you are absolutely a new friend of the show and hopefully a long-term friend of the show and you know if there's anything new Coming up down the line, we you know we definitely want to highlight it, um, and personally, we just we look forward to getting to to know you a lot better uh, outside of the show. So um, stay on the line, uh, everybody else. You're going to be listening to the Real Me by Kenneth Mogan, and we hope you have a great week. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, wear your mask, dance jig. Whatever we'll you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you. Have a great week.
well as on his Twitter account. Uh, and I think that really plays down whatever the yeah. or mistake uh, that Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.